Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Harren Hall. My name is Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 18 of our chapter-by-chapter chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we're discussing chapter 17 of A Game of Thrones, which is Bran 3. As always, we'll chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you, and hopefully provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes, they provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note about the chapter. How are you? I'm alright. Did I, did I just say, how are you, in a way that would not be understandable to the listeners? Was it like a, hiya, hiya? <laughs> you tried to do an American accent. Maybe that again. was it, yeah. <laughs> What's your American accent? A pirate? It's more like a pirate. Yeah. Pirate slash John Wayne. That's it, yeah. yes, pirate yeah. slash John Wayne. Or um, Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> Lordy, sir, I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Probably better than my English accent, though. Mm. So. We'll have to hear that one, though. Yeah. I keep I keep trying to convince Simon that we should do a um, accent reversal for an episode, but <laughs> the, the problem is, is I'm so embarrassed by my American accent because it, the thing is, I sound more and more American all the time, and yet when I try to do an American accent, I, I look at these British actors who come over here and do American parts, and I'm just in awe of them because they just <laughs> drop into it. The the guy um, Jonathan Reese is it from the Americans? Yeah, I, oh. so, I saw an interview with him the other day, and he his when he spoke. With his natural accent, which is a Welsh accent, I was just blown away. Yeah. Just like he's doing a really good Welsh accent, <laughs> he's, he's got that nailed down. And then during the interview, he just dropped into American, and it was just seamless. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. Talented, very talented. Yeah. You I, might be embarrassed for your um, American accent, but Stacy's embarrassed for my English accent. Well, yeah. But, Whenever but, I try to do one, here's she's the like, Please stop. Please. Here's stop. the difference, though. <laughs> your English accent will be a source of fun and amusement. I think right. my American accent. Everyone will be like, "What is wrong with him? He lives there. He must hear this all the time." True, true. Yeah. How's the bathroom? It's coming along. Mm -hmm. Still displaced. Still living out of the guest room and mm -hmm. using the hallway bath. But Ethan's gone back to school, so now there's not um, a line for the bathroom. Yes, mm. yes. So. So when I was growing up, there were six of us in our house, and until I was twelve, we had one bathroom and. The toilet was in that bathroom. So there was always a line. Man, it was constant, the line. For that. Yeah. You learned early to right. <laughs> plan ahead. <laughs> in in sock news, I've gone for Lannister. Oh, yes, I'm sockless. I, uh, but think, uh, I like those, yeah. I like that. I liked your comparison well. to Penny. She does look a little bit like it. She's about the same size she as is. the Lannister logo. <laughs> All right, let's I get think down. We have an episode to do. We huh? do. We should get to it. Um, quick recap of what Bran was up to previously. Bran's been lying around in bed for more than a month. In that time, his dad and sisters have left home. His half brother's gone north. His mother's lost her mind and regained it again. Right. And also left home, although more temporarily, hopefully. Right. And he survived a second assassination attempt, courtesy of his. Uh, and he survived it because of his as yet unnamed direwolf. Right. I'm hoping very soon that I won't have to say the as yet unnamed direwolf again. Why don't you give us a summary of what happened in the chapter? 
All right. I think I can make your dream come true here. I think so. Oh, that I said dream. You did. I, didn't I, even... I, I thought you were doing that on purpose. That seemed like... Man, i got to quit admitting when I'm not doing cool things on purpose. <laughs> I think it's known. <laughs> it is known. Anything cool out of your mouth? Complete accident. Complete accident. Okay, here comes the summary. So, Bran dreams of falling. In the dream, a voice tells him to fly, but he can't fly, so he falls. The voice asks how he knows he can't fly. He's never tried. The voice is coming from a crow that is falling alongside him. Bran remembers a golden face, but the crow recommends that he put away that painful memory. The crow convinces him to open his eyes and see what's below him. Bran sees the whole world below him. He sees Maester Lewin and Hodor and Winterfell, his mother aboard a ship studying the Valerian steel knife, his father pleading with the king, Sansa in her grief, and Arya in quiet rage. He sees all the way across Essos to Ashae by the sea, where dragons stirred. He looked north to John at the wall and far beyond, beyond even the curtain of light at the top of the world, to a horror that made him scream. The crow tells him that now he knows why he must live, because winter is coming. The crow has three eyes. At the last second of his fall, Bran spreads his arms and flies. As he does, the crow pecks him hard in the forehead, and Bran awakens in his bed at Winterfell. He feels the pain of the peck, but feels no blood. The wolf licks Bran's face, and Rob enters, alerted by shouts from a serving girl. Bran's first words are, his name is Summer. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, we've got a name! <laughs> and of course, of course, I'm going to pretend that I knew and remembered <laughs> that the wolf's name was Summer. And I could have been saying it all along, but it was completely... Completely news to me again. But actually, I think it's an interesting choice of name because so in the dream, he's had this, uh, the most horrific part of the dream for him was seeing what was the, the, right. the horror in the north, which they describe as winter coming. Right. So perhaps summer is the antidote to, exactly. to winter coming. Summer fights winter, exactly. I guess. So you're going to do some psychoanalysis of this. Dream, I right? am. I don't know that it fits at all, but <laughs> I was curious. You know, you hear of falling dreams are pretty common. In fact, during my quick little research, it's one of the most common dreams yeah. people have. So a psychoanalysis of a falling dream, um, often falling dreams are an indication of insecurities, instabilities, and anxieties. You are feeling overwhelmed and out of control in some situation in your waking life. Falling dreams also often reflect a sense of failure or inferiority in some circumstance or situation. I don't know that any of that applies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's interesting, and certainly you could imagine. I mean, it kind of reminds me of astrology. You know, you can always sort of like right. map things to yes. these kind of like analyses. But sure. In this case, I think the real driver for this dream is that he fell. Right. <laughs> it was more of a memory than a dream. I think like, you're ah! onto something there. <laughs> so. Um, so let's go through a little bit about the dream. Let's sort of pick it apart a little bit. So right at the start, uh, Master Lewin tries to show Bran what would happen if he fell from a tower. He bakes a clay version of Bran. and Even puts Bran's clothes on it. Uh-huh. And um, when it falls from a high shelf, it shatters. Yes. I think Bran totally missed the point there. His response was, but I never fall. Right. <laughs> but I was thinking maybe Lewin should have covered being caught eavesdropping and its ramifications. That might have helped, yes. And then, then at least he might not have done that part and he would have been safe. Yeah. <laughs> but he sure was ridiculously high. Right. Uh, so I looked it up. And according to NASA, so the, the sentence is, the ground was closer now, 
still far away, a thousand miles away, but closer than it had been. Now, can I just interject here? Yes, you are the... I am team astronomer. Right. So go ahead with your NASA comments. (laughs) You can pick them apart. (laughs) So that's high. I looked it up. He's above the ionosphere, which is 30 miles to 600 miles above the ground. He's somewhere up in the exosphere, which goes up to 6,200 miles above the ground. So unless he was just exaggerating for effect... uh, he was floating in space when this whole thing started mm-hmm. because he's so, closer in the ionosphere. So possibly actually flying, you know, yes. <laughs> not falling at all. But the, the crow was right when he says you are flying. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think I've got this is almost pedantry here. But let me let me defend George Martin. On the one hand, this is just a dream. Right. <laughs> you can be as high as you want and still be in the atmosphere in your dream. Yes, and secondly, true. he is a seven-year-old child, possibly exaggerating the number. When he looked down, he went, oh, my God, that's a thousand miles. It was two miles. You, know? you don't think he had uh, any kind of measurement uh, going on there? Possibly. <laughs> if he had a laser. You right. know? Uh, anyway. So the crow that appears wants him to fly. seems to think that Bran is confusing flying with crying. He asks Bran for some corn. And if you remember to the, with the chapter when Bran was climbing, he carried corn in his pocket to feed the crows because he would often meet crows up at the top right. of the towers and he would feed them. Either way, odd things often happen in my dreams and I'd, I'd just kind of roll with them in the dream, you know. It's just like things totally make sense even though they don't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, if a crow asked you for corn in your dream and you reached into your pocket and pulled out corn, you'd be like, yeah, I would yeah. have expected that <laughs> right. to happen. You know? But Bran really did carry corn, so it's not too outlandish that he had it right i mentioned in the summary he does see a golden face and the golden face says the things i do for love which we obviously know is what jamie said right before he pushed bran out the window but i wonder here he sees this face it says the things i do for love and then the crow says put that memory away you don't need that memory got a bigger fish to fry right now and I wonder if the crow telling him to put that memory away will mean that he won't remember it when he wakes. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, so literally the crow said, forget that. You do not need it now. Put it aside. Put it away. So, yeah, I mean, to me... Clearly, Bran has the memory. Right. The memory is in there, and the crow is telling him to put it aside. So I think that's, overall, it's not great news for the Lannisters. But on the flip side, I think the crow telling him to put it away perhaps is sort of like an indication that the memory is going to be suppressed upon waking. And so um, we may have to wait some time before this unearths itself. It's just, a lot of people don't remember what happened to them right before a dramatic event. We were just discussing our yes. dramatic events. Yes. I had a situation when I was a kid where I woke up on a couch having been knocked out, having no memory of why I was knocked out. And my older brother told me that he and I were playing a game where 
he was kicking a soccer ball and I was jumping over it in the family room. Mm -hmm. And I landed on the ball one time and fell and landed on my head and knocked myself out. So he put me on the couch. (laughs) God, imagine what could have been. I know. (laughs) The permanent damage you've done. Seriously. So so mine was um, not as bad as that but i i was in a very english style i was hit across the head with a cricket bat and uh, oddly that's never happened to me no (laughs) and uh i just the two seconds between the impact of the cricket bat and the finding myself on the floor just have disappeared completely i don't remember anything that happened in that but i do remember turning towards the cricket bat so so in my instance, I would remember it was Jamie pushing. Right. I mean, I remember, remember the, the push. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I would definitely remember Jamie doing the pushing. So, um, yeah, the crow thinks that Bran is flying. Bran insists that he's just falling. Yeah, uh, I tend to side with Bran on this one. <laughs> Feels like falling to me. <laughs> when Bran opens his eyes, he gets a bird's eye view of the whole situation. You know, we see all of the characters and where they are. Yeah, there's, there's a mixture of things that he... Would know, might know, and couldn't possibly know right. that he sees. The might know being things that he may have overheard in his sleep. Right. Right. And I'm talking like, not even a, like a Simon not knowing that you already know it kind of dream. <laughs> like there's things he couldn't know. <laughs> Unless he, like me, has already read it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be that. I didn't think of that one. So let's step through what he sees individually. So the first thing he sees is, seems rather unimportant. He sees Maester Lewin and Hodor. Not yeah. much there. Then he sees Rob in the yard training with Steel again. Not much there, not much interest. Although when Bran fell, Rob was using a wooden sword, and now he's using a steel sword. So, But I guess that Rob could have come in and talked with him. You know, He's he's really the only adult figure in the household at the moment. So. Possibly just a motif of <clears throat> Rob having grown up in this, yeah, sure. in this time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to Lewin and Hodo, perhaps it's those are people who are you know close to Bran's heart sure yeah yeah the the Winterfell weirwood tree looks up at Bran the the weirwood trees have faces carved into them right and of course because they're trees those eyes don't move very much but in the dream they look up and stare at Bran knowingly yeah and from just a dream standpoint that's no less odd than him falling from space while talking to a bird with three eyes Mm. but I think there might be some symbolism there too the children of the forest which to refresh everyone's memory, are the original inhabitants of Westeros. They're small, humanoid-like figures. Their green seers were said to have seen through the eyes of the werewolves. Right. So right. maybe it's reference to that. Yeah. Yeah, but but it, as you made you made the point to me earlier, the Bran would have heard those stories. So right. perhaps it's kind of you know his memories of the sort of fairy tales that he heard are kind of coming true in the dream to a certain sure, extent. Sure. Yeah. He sees Cat and Sir Roderick on the boat in the waters of the bite heading towards King's Landing. Now, again, presumably Cat came and kissed him goodbye or something, but right. he wouldn't really know that that's where they would be. Yes, we're getting into some less obviously known details here. Yeah. I don't know exactly how the uh, unconscious mind works when someone's... Uh, well, not at all in our experience. <laughs> right, I don't remember, <laughs> that's for sure. But if... If he retained anything that was going on around him, he might know about the whole dagger and cat situation. Yeah. He certainly wouldn't know about Sir Roderick uh, puking over the rail. Right. So. <laughs> right. That definitely seems like a detail that would not... Uh... Right. And he wouldn't even know that Sir Roderick went with Cat unless, like you said, Cat stopped by and said, Sir Roderick and I are going yeah, to yeah. take a trip to King's Landing. Clearly, I mean, clearly the, the message we're getting here is that somehow in his dreams, he is able to see. He is right. able to get... a sense of 
things that are remote that he shouldn't possibly know. Right. Bran sees a powerful storm ahead of them that they can't see. Um, yeah. Literal or metaphorical. Right. Yeah. Literal. Yeah. The ship could be destroyed or maybe blow them off course or something. Metaphorical, maybe they'll find trouble in King's Landing that they aren't anticipating. Right. Right. I'm I'm going to go for whether literal or not. It's definitely metaphorical. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ned and the girls he sees near the Trident, um, still making their way south at ungodly slow pace. Um, <laughs> even in the in his dreams, they don't make any progress. Uh, <laughs> right. Ned's face etched with pain, pleading with the king. So that's something. That's something that happened recently. Yes. Again, there there is a timeline thing here. We don't know. If these chapters are happening synchronously, you know, this could actually be happening at exactly the same moment right. as True. Ned begging yeah. with the Queen. That's a good point. Of course, Ned often probably has a rather pain face because he's... And he's a, often pleading with the yes, King. Yes, he's going to be doing that a That's whole true. lot in his job, That's would true. be my hunch. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the natural instinct is it's the, it's the lady uh, thing that he's yes. pleading about, but it definitely could be something else. He also sees Sansa crying herself to sleep and Arya watching her in silence... He'd have no reason to know about why Sansa is crying herself yeah. to sleep, as he couldn't know about Lady. So and it makes me wonder what secrets Arya is holding. The I think the line is Arya holding secrets hard in her heart. Yeah. What secrets are those? We know she's hiding needle, but it's got to be more than that. Well, my take on that is her now unquenchable hatred of the Lannisters. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking it is. Yeah. Because the way she stared daggers at them as she was dragged out of the room uh, when the death sentence was given to Lady suggests that she was not going to forgive them anytime soon. That's a good point. The trio, um, Ned and the girls, are surrounded by shadows. Um, Symbolism, some of it's obvious, some not so much. One was dark as ash with the terrible face of a hound. Obviously that seems like Sandok again. Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. All... All three of them have had run-ins with him in one way or another. Ned basically doesn't like people who murder children. Right. Stickler and all. Yeah, um, yeah. He, San, uh, Clegane has had several conversations with Sansa and scared the bejesus out of her. Right, yeah. Um, and Arya doesn't know it yet, as far as we know, but Clegane killed her friend Micah. So right, So yeah. all three of them are... That's not going to sit very well with her. Yeah. Plus, he probably casts a really big shadow. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> the next shadow was armored like the sun, golden and beautiful. So that clearly leads to some sort of Lannisterness. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Joffrey, Cersei. Yeah, uh, maybe some amalgam of them. Yes, exactly. But the final image is is definitely confusing. Over them both, sh- a shadow loomed, a giant in armor made of stone. But when he opened his visor, with there was nothing. There was nothing inside but darkness and thick black blood. What the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, you made an interesting point. You said that um, it fits the description of the Titan of Bravos, but right. yep. no idea. Symbo- symbolically, I don't see any connection yes. to the Titan of Bravos. Yes, what would so... the Titan of Bravos have to do with the group inching their way towards King Landing? Maybe it's just some kind of, like, motif of war or just general threat. But it right. is it is strange that the other two are kind of obviously identifiable, but this one is not. Yeah, I do have a theory... But I can't share it yet because it would have way too many spoilers. Okay. So I will share it when all those spoilers, all those things have been revealed. Yeah, you'll come back and say, you remember back in chapter 17, I knew what was going on because I'd read it once. 
So next he looks to the east to Essos and sees dragons stirring. He sees the free cities of Istothrak, the fabled Jade Sea, Ashai by the shadow. Yeah, progressively um, further east. Yes, moving east as he goes, yeah. Um, he calls the Jade Sea Fable because so few, few people from Westeros ever travel that far. Um, and back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might get <laughs> through, yeah. Ashai is about as far east as Essos as you can get, or at least as far as is really known. Yeah, it's nearing the end of the known yeah. world. Um, yeah. and, and he mentions the stirring of dragons. Now, it's interesting. He, he says that, that he, he, it seems that he places that in Ashai. Right. But, that, but then I wondered if symbolically it was to do with Viserys and Daenerys yeah. coming into a situation where they are more able to threaten the throne of Westeros. Right. That's what I was wondering. It could be literal. There are dragons stirring in the east. But you, you would think people might be aware of that if there are dragons stirring in the but east. But if a shy is so distant that there's no communication between the two, That's you know, maybe, true. Yeah. maybe dragons still exist over there. We just don't know it. But it, in if it's, our part of the world, yeah, that's true. That is all. Is basically the other side of the world. The that's the other side of the known world. Yeah. But if it's a more metaphorical sense, like you had said, Danny, Caldrogo, Viserys, they're all heading to Vase Dothrak to present Danny to the Dosh Kaleen. Yeah. So you know, it likely means that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But again, know. we don't. We don't. Um. So Bran sees John at Castle Black sleeping alone. Losing all memory of warmth. Right. That sounds... The description of his situation sounds about what we had expected when he got there. But then he looks past the, the wall and all the way up to the curtain of light at the end of the world and he sees something awful under the guise of winter. Bran yes. cries out. All these things didn't make him cry out. Well, that's not true. The the, the things I do for love golden right. person made him cry out too but yeah. all these other things didn't make him cry out but what he sees there in the north does now, we, I would assume this has something to do with the others I would guess so too Yeah, we don't know how because at this point that's when the crow says now you see why you must live because winter is coming winter is coming so winter is coming is sort of catch all for what he's just seen that right. is winter yes and it's and coming and it's more than just weather yeah what that has to do with Bran living well, I guess we'll find well, I out. guess I mean, I guess Bran has seen it. Whatever it is, Bran just saw it. So he could tell, alert people. Exactly. I guess, get yeah, people prepared. Yeah, yeah. Basically, by going round and saying winter is coming a lot, like a true Stark. <laughs> <laughs> Which they've been doing for <laughs> centuries. So, But most of them hadn't seen what was going on beyond the curtain of light. You'll have to say, no, I mean it this time. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> I'm not crying wolf. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> that one I did on purpose. You did. I could tell. <laughs> it, was the, it was the drum roll you did right. on the table beforehand. <laughs> So the crow has three eyes. The third eye is full of terrible knowledge. Yeah, um, that's an interesting and yeah. kind of ambiguous statement. But then he seems to, he taps, uh, later on he taps Bran in the forehead, perhaps giving him a third eye, passing on that knowledge. Right. Maybe this is yeah. what that, that, that symbolizes. Yeah, and I didn't really, I didn't remember this line in previous reads of the or listens of this chapter. As he's nearing the ground, he sees the impaled bodies of thousands of other dreamers. And I wonder if those are the bodies of other, in his mind, other boys falling who hit the ground, who didn't turn and fly. I, I don't know what else he could have meant by thousands mm. of other dreamers. Or, flirting with spoilerism, is it the thousand people before him who've had this knowledge in some way? Maybe. I, I do know the answer because I have finish the books but 
from our perspective right now, we don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I can get away with that kind of spoiler because although I have finished the books, I don't know. <laughs> nothing sticks. So Bran remembers a conversation as he's falling that he and his father had after Garrod's execution where he asks his father, can a man still be brave if he's afraid? And his father replies, that's the only time a man can be brave. So he has this memory and then the crow tells him, it's now or never, kid. You got to fly right now. So he spreads his arms and soars upward. Yep. So, Which is the symbol for him to wake up as well. Right, yeah. And, and that's when the raven lands on him and starts to peck him in the forehead right, like you had right, mentioned yeah. and possibly giving him a third eye. like Of, of wisdom of yes, some sort. Yes, like the raven has the third eye full of terrible wisdom. Well, I think we've done well. We've we've We've... This is the shortest chapter in the entire book, and we've managed to talk about it for quite a while. Let's, right. Let's hit the background. <laughs> we um, were a little nervous about uh, getting, <laughs> filling this chapter with episode with enough content from this small chapter. So, background information. Vice Dothrak, it's the only Dothraki city. It's located in the northeast of the vast Dothraki Sea. The reason Bran refers to it as under its mountain is because it sits beneath the mountain known as the Mother of Mountains. It also sits near a lake the Dothraki called the Womb of the World. Unlike most cities in Essos, it has no walls. It has Dothraki. <laughs> Doesn't need one. Vice Dothrak is ruled by the Dash Kaleen, who we've mentioned before. As we, um, th- Those are the Khaleesis of Karls who've died. It's forbidden to wear a blade or shed a free man's blood within the confines of the city. He also references he also references the Jade Sea. It's the sea south of Essos, roughly bordered by Karth to the west and Ashai to the east. Karth derives its wealth from the narrow navigable straits that separate it from the island of Great Morak. Ships passing from the Summer Sea to the Jade Sea pass through these straits and are taxed. It takes roughly two years to travel from Pentos, which is on the west part of Essos. Essos to the Jade Sea and back in the best of conditions. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah. So um, he mentions the city of Ashai by the Shadow. It's a port city on the extreme southeast of Essos where the Ash River drains into the Jade Sea. We're talking far away. Rough estimate, and I sort of did this with a ruler on my computer screen. <laughs> right. It's about 6,000 miles east-southeast from Pentos. I wonder if that's how Bran figured out he was 1,000 miles. Possibly, yes. And that says the crow flies. Probably had another 1,000 for geographic constraints. Right. It's walled and is apparently far larger than any city on Westeros. It says that King's Landing, Old Town, and others would all comfortably sit inside it at the same time. Wow. It is also almost empty. Only 10% of the buildings are lit at night. The Ash River is poisonous, so all food and drink are imported. So that'll keep the population down, presumably. Right, yes. Um, It trades amber, dragonglass, gold, and gems. So the people of Ashai, the Ashai, are thought to have magical powers. The Dothraki fear them. Uh Uh-huh. He also mentions the Curtain of Light. So that suggests that the planet is magnetic here. Taking back the mantle of uh, chief astronomer, yes, as you should, maester astronomer. Um, <laughs> without a magnetic field, you're exposed to solar winds, and so life isn't really possible. Uh, obviously, there is abundant iron because there's plenty of iron armor and swords and things, and the big throne as well. Right. So it's safe to assume that we do have a magnetic planet. But then they don't. Nobody's mentioned compasses for navigation. That's true. Now our magnetic field fluctuates in strength and location and inverts occasionally like the North and South Poles. In right, Europe. yeah. Um, such events do leave a trace. Could the world of ice and fire have a more dramatically dynamic magnetic core, meaning that compasses are not as useful? Because right. if, if your magnetic north is jumping all over the place, your compass is not a True. lot of use. Can't really trust it. 
Um, and could that in some way contribute to the randomness of summers and winters? I couldn't think of a way that it would, but it was a thought I had. Well, if you can't think of it, well, how's I'm going to be well, like, I know. <laughs> well, you say that, but I am quite lazy. So. <laughs> Google I, search might have... Uh... I had a quick thought, and then I was like, eh, maybe. <laughs> so the last little bit is Kat and Sir Roderick are on a boat in the Bight. And that is a long bay of eastern Westeros, located between the north and the Vale of Arryn. They would have entered it from a city called White Harbor, which sits at the mouth of the White Knife. The White Knife is a river that runs south from Winterfell into the Bight. The Bight leads out into the Narrow Sea, which they will take south to Winterfell. No, so King's Landing. It is King's Landing, yeah. Mm. And, and also, just another point, just to, just to hold you up on another point, it doesn't run south from Winterfell, it runs south of Winterfell. Yeah, Winterfell yes. doesn't have a river, That's remember. right, it doesn't. We talked about that earlier. It runs south of... Of Winterfell South. <laughs> Something yes. like that. Yes. Yeah, so comparison with the TV show, he we don't get any of this dream. And Bran wakes up at the same instant that Lady is put to death. That's what wakes him up. So right. That's it. There's quite yeah. a fairly severe difference apart from the main thing, which is Bran woke up. Um, so there's even less to talk about in the TV show in this part. Right, <laughs> because it's a, it's, it's a two-second scene in the right. TV show. So... Pedantry Corner, I mentioned this. If you have a magnetic planet, you'd have compasses. Um, they were invented here about 2,200 years ago, so it wouldn't be historically anomalous to have them. Hmm. But again, maybe what I said before about right. the randomness undermines them. Could be. I wondered how something armored like the sun and golden could be a shadow. Oh, it's and tricky. It would surely cast a shadow. Tricky. But I'm not sure how it could be a shadow. Yeah. It was yeah. one of the shadows. Yeah, yeah. But... Maybe that's that's the advantage of a dream. In right. a dream, even a, a golden shadow could be cast. <laughs> something in some that yeah. armored like the sun could be a shadow. Yeah. Uh, so news and notes: We a friend of the pod, Mark, has reached out to tell us that um, Kit Harrington, who plays Jon Snow in the show, is descended from the man who invented the flushing toilet. How awesome! He's got a strong claim to the throne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when they're obvious. <clears throat> I need and, them to be obvious. So. I I love obvious jokes, and I love I love repeating jokes as well. Yeah, I do love to repeat a joke. I would say that one over and over again because I like it. <laughs> and and my wife goes through like a sort of like a sort of biorhythm. Like the second and third time I repeat it, she's like, <sighs> but then like fifth time she finds it funny again, yeah. kind of thing. I know? don't get that bounce back <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> it's monotonically decreasing yeah. amusement. Yeah. She says I've been telling the same jokes the past twenty years. So <laughs> I think I think Carson sort of gives up and like sort of embraces. Oh, he's just going to keep telling this. I might as well enjoy it. <laughs> Got two options: laugh or cry. <laughs> so let's conclude. Yep. Brant is awake. Hooray! Yay! Not sure how much his crippled body's going to be able to do, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, and he saw a storm in front of Cat and Sir Roderick. So we don't know if that is real or metaphorical. Yeah. Might it's, be a little of both. It's definitely metaphorical. Yeah. Um, trouble brewing for Ned and the girls. Um, we, but you know, we, we knew that. That's not. That's yeah. not insight for us. That's. Uh, we we were getting that impression as yeah. they inch their way toward yeah. King's Landing, and he saw dragons stirring in the east, and something, presumably the others, in the very very far north. Yeah. And again, metaphor versus literal, hard to be sure on some of these things. Yeah. But the crow indicates that Bran is going to have a role to play. 
Right. Yeah. With with whatever it was he yeah. saw in the north. And again, I think I think some of it must be as messenger because he, everybody else fears winter because it's cold. Right. He's fearing winter because of something. There's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just saying winter is coming yeah. that takes on a whole new meaning here. Yeah. Which is which is possibly and presumably why it was their words. It was never just a reference to could be weather. It yeah. was always the the dangers of winter. Good using, point. Using air quotes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like the air quotes too. It's yeah. It was appropriate. I yeah, thought at that yeah. moment. <laughs> all right. Anything else? That's all. That's all I got. Okay. Me too. Well, as always, you can reach us at ghosts.harrenhall at gmail.com. And you can please go out and follow us on Twitter at Ghost Heron Hall and go check us out on Facebook. That'd be great. And yeah, leave us reviews and like and subscribe, that kind of thing. That would help us. Yeah. Just get the word out. Definitely be appreciative. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye.